Hello all, this is Artie Kulik, the host of the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, the podcast for CSA.com. Kind of doing something a little bit different here. We've been toying with a lot of different podcast ideas, and there's another show I produce that I advertise on this show called High Heels and Politics. Now, those of you that haven't listened to it, it is, obviously, it's got word politics and it. it is a political show. And the founder of it, or the host, Marianne Christie, she's a former Ohio vice chair of the Republican Party. She knows a lot of the Republican people, still very active in those politics. So as that show became more successful, and she's branched out and interviewed a few a few Democrats, the shows had some other hosts interview people, but we kind of wanted to keep branding-wise, because that's who the audience is for that, we, we wanted to keep that branding-wise with the GOP, with the Republican Party. But those of you guys that listen to this show know that's probably not exactly where my politics align with. So I wanted to do a version of that, but more for a liberal-minded or the Democratic Party or people on that side of the equation. And that way, it gives you know, it gives everybody a chance to get to know some of these people. And then specifically with the Democratic Party, I wanted to really focus on these new wave of what they call activist representatives, these people who... They came into politics through their own activism. Uh, The most famous one I can think of is Ocasio-Cortez. So this is – it's kind of upsetting the apple cart a little bit. It's uh, these people are going against the establishment and they have a lot of passion. They have a lot of empathy. And so for my first interview and on this new show that we're still working with a few names right now and I'll keep you guys updated, you'll see. But I wanted to interview, I wanted this audience to hear this interview I did with a gentleman named David Israti. Now, David is the Democratic Party nominee in Ohio's 10th congressional district. He'll be running up against Mike Turner, who has been there for 20 years. Mike Turner also is probably a name and a lot of you don't know. He's kind of sits in the background, doesn't say much of anything, but did come out after the FBI did their raid on Mar-a-Lago. He did come out defending Trump naturally. And I also wanted to give David a little bit of this platform because you'll hear us talk about it during the podcast, but you need money in politics. You need to get your name out there. You need signs. You need commercials. And this is a this is a congressional race. This is a big race. And somebody like Mike Turner's got million-dollar donors, but somebody like David, who has spent his life fighting for these issues for the quote-unquote little man, he doesn't have that kind of bank account. And we're kind of we're, we're coming up to the election here in less than a month. So I wanted to give David this platform. I wanted to give it out to this audience. And I wanted you guys to hear what he had to say and and get get caught up in in his want to make this country the best that we know it can be and to get away from the same thing we do all the time that just is not working. So I wanted to give David this platform, but I also want to encourage you guys to know that somebody like this, somebody who wants to actually work for the people, they need your help. So I encourage you to go to Elect as Roddy. I will put it on the on the podcast notes on the podcast page. We're going to talk about it at the end of this interview, too. So I encourage you to go. And he really, really could use the support because when you're going up against Goliath, David still needs that slingshot. That's about the only biblical reference you'll ever hear from me. Maybe I can tie it to one of those Simpson Bible stories. But without going on and on, I want to present, I also wanted to say we did this interview over lunch at a local restaurant because politicians are good around the people. I don't want to stick them in a studio. I want to go out amongst the people. And it was it was fantastic. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Democratic Party congressional candidate in Ohio's 10th district, David Azrati. 
David, thanks for joining me today. We're sitting here at uh, Paris Bon Me, Bon Mai, I believe Bon Me is what it's called, Vietnamese restaurant here off Tylersville Road in beautiful Southwest Ohio. And it's really good food. You should come here. <laughs> yes. Number I, two, no I, onions. I, I definitely should because my I was sitting here and I'm like, my periodontist, I can see their office right over there. So it's a, it, quite the drive. But I appreciate you joining me here. You're running for the United States Congress in Ohio's completely illegal redrawn District 10. It's been a uh, gerrymandered district for the last 20 years, so it's been basically given to Mike. Yeah, Trump. yeah. From my understanding, though, we, what, 70% of Ohioans passed a law to stop that process? Issue one was overwhelmingly passed by Ohioans, and the Republicans on the redistricting commission basically stood and gave the finger to the Supreme Court, not once, but five times. Yeah. If I yeah. did that? It's a process, and I swear to God I could go through an entire podcast just talking about that process. But David, let's talk about you. You've run for office before, but this is your first time going for, to, uh, to make the change in D.C. Right. This is the first time I made it past the primary. So give me non-politically, give me a little, I see you're wearing a Ranger pin. No, so, that's, oh, an air, that's an airborne pen. That's airborne wings. Okay, see, yeah. I mean, I've got a friend. It's not a ranger. A, I have a friend who is a ranger who's going to be so mad at me. But all I, all I did was serve with special forces. Uh, okay. I actually never finished the qualification course. Okay, so, so, but you had to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I did. Fools and bird shit are the yeah. two things that fall out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, my father was in the Navy, and I'd always ask him, why'd you jump out of, like, perfectly good airplanes? He said, because one day I'm going to have to jump out of one that's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so tell me a little bit about yourself non-politically. I think the biggest difference you'll find with me is I own an ad agency, so my job is to come up with creative solutions for businesses and reposition them and make them, as we like to say, we try to create lust, evoke trust, because I think that's all there is for a business to really stand itself apart from its competition. And I've been doing that pretty successfully since 1990. We've got some clients we totally changed the perception of. We've built relationships with our clients over time, and they trust us, and we do good work. But my whole search for creativity has always been forward-thinking, technologically advanced. So I was one of the first people to have a Macintosh and be doing fully digital page layout, then full digital video, then got into building websites using open source content management systems. And we actually taught a course for a long time on WordPress, did CRM, did marketing automation tools, all these things into social media earlier. So I have the tools available to communicate. However, it's not good enough just to post stuff anymore. Unfortunately, you have to pay the piper, and that's where my campaign has floundered a bit. But I'm a veteran. I was an urban pioneer. I bought a house for $14,500 in a neighborhood that looked pretty run down in 1986 on the day the first space shuttle blew up. And I immediately got in trouble with City Hall because I put up the wrong kind of garage doors in mm -hmm. an unmarked historic <laughs> district. Never mind that those same doors were on a judge's house in the next historic district over that was marked. That's what got me started in politics, really, was the city coming and then going to city leaders and talking to a brick wall. Never got a response. I believe government should be responsive. I think when a citizen gets fed up enough to go and talk to their leadership, they should have a whole process. It should be logged, you know, much like a trouble ticket, like you're running help desk. Here's the, the problem. Here's what we did. Here's what we found out. And here's how we resolved it. And those should be 
reported every time somebody comes to the commission meeting or whatever board it is. You come, you make the complaint, and at the next meeting, they tell the board how it was resolved. The staff does, and there you have it. And you rate how well they responded to the public. Well, I've, I've often said in my job and people that listen to the show know that myself, my co-host, very, very politically involved. And I always tell people that every politician I've ever come across, they get there one of two ways. They either get there because their daddy did it <laughs> or they get there because they ran over a pothole in the road and said, I'm, somebody needs to do that. And I'm going to do something about it. They get there through activism. And we're, we're getting to a point where I think the the former is happening more than the latter. We're getting a government that's very disassociated from its people. And I'm glad you brought up 1986 because I want to um, ask you your your views or your opinions on a few things. Something I'm very, I'm very big on is called the toil index. Basically, it's the amount of time the person has to work for the average wages in order to afford rent. And in the 1950s, I believe the toil index was for one month of rent. So let's say 80 hours. People that listen to this also know I'm terrible at math. So you might join the club. <laughs> you might have to, you might have to correct me in real time. Thankfully, my wife corrects me a lot, but let's say you work 80 hours in the month for the average pay in the 1950s. The toil index was, I think around 10. You had to work 10 hours a month in order to make rent. In 1985, very little had changed. It was around 13 then. Here in 2022, and the figures I have actually go back to the pre-pandemic, so let's say 2019, that toil index is now over 40 hours. It's actually approaching 50 hours. Half of your time is just a 40. So you talk about the house you bought. Just remember, I bought a house for $14,500 that had been on the market for two years, started out at 22.9, was listed at 17.9, and I offered 14.5 saying I'd buy it or another house. I didn't care. When in fact I did care, well. <laughs> but uh, I bought the house for fourteen five, and I had to pay cash because the banks wouldn't loan on anything at that time under twenty five thousand, yeah. and then it went up to fifty. Now it's probably at a hundred because mm -hmm. redlining still exists, and without the ability to bank or insure, you have a vacuum at the low end, and you basically create hovels and poverty stricken neighborhoods and redlined areas, and. Now we've turned it around and it's a gentrified neighborhood. And I hate to say it, but I don't know if I like my neighbors more now than I did then. Well, that's, that's kind of the burn in there is I went through a similar process myself. This was in the city of Cincinnati. We bought, uh, there was this very nice building that was originally built for basically rich widowers in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. I mean, beautiful ceilings, exposed, exposed like woods and all, I mean, beautiful floors, exposed, all this stuff. And then, it went into disrepair, became Section 8 housing. Again, gorgeous place, right. still very well upkept. And then a developer came in after the Section 8 was done and redeveloped it. And I remember part of me, here's, here's me being the bad liberal, part of me thinks, okay, it's good to rehabilitate those places because it brings a tax base back. It brings more money to the community. But on the other side of it, I saw the people who were leaving. And I saw the people that were coming in. And part of the cycle of it is... You have to understand that people do get displaced. And when the displacement can be painful. Like there was, there's a guy down, who lived down the street from me for 20 years. He had trained as an anthropologist. Really good man. And he was paying rent, I think, when they kicked him out of $300 a month for a place that had fallen into pretty bad disrepair. He had to move out of the neighborhood, away from the people he'd become friends with, had to sell a lot of his possessions because he was downsizing. 
you know, he's still on a fixed income. He's in his late 70s. And he's in someplace else, and it, it's hard on him. He's lost some of his support systems and everything else. And the people that have replaced it, him, don't contribute anything to our community. No, as a matter of fact, it's kind of a bad part of the story I'm telling on myself here. But we try to bring that money back to the community. And again, I go back to this disassociation with the government. At the same time we're doing that in the city of Cincinnati, our mayor, who's a Democrat, John Cranley, is giving away land to General Electric. And what's that money do? Does it make the school better? No, it doesn't make the school better. That's what we're trying to do. They give them huge tax abatements and say, well, we're creating jobs and they're buying jobs. But that's not what tax dollars are for. That's not – this is where I – deviate from the Democratic Party. <laughs> no. but we're we're going to get into you in the Democratic I, Party. I believe, I believe that all incentive programs need to be open to everybody with equals, an equal scoring rubric and an mm. equal solution. So the small business that creates one job or the small business that creates 10 jobs gets the same kind of credits as somebody that claims that they're going to make 100 jobs. I don't think if we're going to do these things and we're going to play favorites, the playing field has to be level. Well, so that's that's what I was thinking is – We come from a place that, yeah, you're trying to improve your neighborhood around it and everything. But what happens and with the government not not doing what they're supposed to? Again, my wife and I, our position was we're going to raise a family here. Our kids are going to go to school in this certain area. This is what we're going to do. But fast forward almost 20 years later and nothing's changed except a bunch of, let's be honest, yuppies or empty nesters. Affordable housing (sighs) is a whole nother problem. I think. Large parts of it have been driven by the automotive industry that believes in sprawl. And we've moved away from high-density housing, one. Two, we've totally annihilated mass transit in anywhere but the largest cities. I mean, mass transit in most cities is subpar Mm -hmm. at best. And so this car-centric philosophy has been a big part of it. And that's why a long time ago I suggested that they offer a walk-to-work tax credit. You actually get tax credits for employees that can walk to work. For instance, Miami Valley Hospital, which my neighborhood is in the shadow of, and they have 6,500 employees, that they could get tax credits for those that live within the neighborhood and can walk to work because they don't have to provide garages. They don't have to have traffic on the roads. They stimulate the local economy around the hospital. I watched the Cleveland Clinic eat up a huge swath of Cleveland over the years. And you know what? None of those people that they displaced were getting anything back. You still, at every level, I mean, I don't care how many billionaires we have in this country. They expect to have people to come and clean their floors and their toilets, and they expect people to clean their clothes for them and cut their grass. Those people have to have a right to live in something reasonable and and be able to afford it, and that's not happening. You have this passion, and you've been doing this a while now, Mm -hmm. and you go look up your name. I remember the first time I talked to you, I just Googled your name. and That got, can be dangerous. <laughs> got quite, the, quite the story. So tell me what led you to this activism. Like I said, I got taken to court for the garage doors. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the first solution I offered to them was that they should put a restrictive covenant in the deeds so this wouldn't happen again. No, they wouldn't do that. And I got introduced to the neighborhood organization. And I watched a dysfunctional organization get to the point where people are actually paying people to vote for one president or the other. And I took over the neighborhood as president with no plan to stay president. That was not my goal. (laughs) In fact, I found somebody as a replacement. I 
groomed him and he became president and I moved on. But the, the most important thing I did was change the focus of the neighborhood from talking about Victorian homes to talking about it as a community. The things we did as a community mattered and made it a wonderful place to live. And if you want to go and do a YouTube search for South Park Soliloquy, you can watch a half-hour program that I put together in like 96 or 97. And they were totally aghast because I picked the music of Buckwheat Zydeco for the background. They're like, we're Victorian homes. It should have classical music and this and that. I'm like... No, it should be a happy thing about living in a great place. And the whole neighborhood became Buckwheat fans. <laughs> and the community changed. It transformed. Our porch patio and deck parties got bigger. Our hot toddy parties got bigger. All the things that built our community and brought us together and made it so people wanted to live there, that was what did it. It was never the homes and the East Lake trim and the fancy decorations on the porch or the hardwood floors. That That's not what makes the difference. That started me finding a lot of the things that the city was doing that weren't really helpful. So when I ran for mayor the first time, which was when I first encountered Mike Turner and everybody first encountered Mike Turner, I had a 11 by 17 broadsheet and it had ridiculous ideas on it. Things like the city should offer round the clock daycare. And if you lived and worked in the city, it was free. And if you only worked in the city, it was half price. If you only lived in the city, it was half price. And if you didn't work or live in the city, it was full price. But I don't know who would use that. But the idea was we can make lower paying jobs that were starting to escape us as the GM plant started to close and we started to see the issues. We could make those people wealthier and give them a better chance at getting things started, plus keep kids out of poverty. And it went nowhere. I was also an advocate for community-based policing. I was an advocate for year-round schools. I still believe our school year is both too short and our school day too, too short, and that we treat teachers like crap and we can do better. But all these things go hand-in-hand hand with other ideas. Like last time I ran for, for city commission, I was talking about making free tran all public transit free. Because very ten, less than 10% of their revenue comes from the fare box, and the costs mm -hmm. involved in collecting that might be higher than what it actually gains them. The key here was we had a free bus line come up, a trolley line, from the University of Dayton down to past the Premier's facilities and down to the arcade. They call it the right flyer, and I call it the white flyer <laughs> because we're only providing free bus service for the white community. It didn't get any traction, but it could have easily been paid for with advertising revenue. And our buses would be full and our community would be robust and vibrant because the cost of automobiles isn't just the cost of owning a car, maintaining a car, or putting gas in a car. It's also where do you park it. Once you eliminate those problems, everything changes. Let's talk about Congress. Let's talk about Mike Turner. There's God. not much to talk about. He's an empty suit you yeah. know, with strings straight to the, his donors. So I can tell you that a lot of people will listen to this and 
we live in Ohio. Ohio, I believe, is the seventh largest economy in seventh, the country. Seventh largest. And so this is a, a serious state. Now, I would argue it's a state that's a little bit in decline. You can see it. We've lost. The Koch brothers put Republicans in charge 20 years ago, yeah. and there's the decline. And so all of, right, that's exactly it. Whenever I hear people in Columbus talk about how we need to fix the schools, I'm like, you guys have literally been in charge for a generation. So- and, and they were found unconstitutional yeah. 22 years ago. Yes. 23 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 99, We have 618 school districts. We have one in Montgomery County with 242 students with a board, with a treasurer, with a superintendent. I'm sorry, 242 students is barely an elementary school. No, right. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's... We have done nothing to fix our educational system in the state of Ohio. But that's not the problem. No, no. When I talk about Congressman Mike Turner, when I talk about Ohio, everybody knows... Sherrod Brown, everybody knows Rob Portman. They're on their respective safe space news places all the time. Everybody knows our senators. Nobody knows who the hell any of our congressmen are. And we are... Oh, they know who Jim Jordan is. <laughs> okay, sorry. For, for being <laughs> yeah. a fool. Uh, yeah, I'm And sorry. lately, Mike Turner's been on the air a lot defending the right. Mar-a-Lago raid. So where I am, or I have... Defending Trump on the Mar-a-Lago right. raid, as he calls it. Where I am, we have... 30-year veteran Steve Shabbat, who, again, was kind of a right. nothing until... He voted to not certify Biden's Bain, presidency. Boehner, Boehner was our last yeah, the really well-known, well-known guy. Man. Turner, again, nobody knows anything about him, but all of a sudden I see him behind the podium he, yelling at the FBI. Because they feel he was safe. He didn't have to worry about losing his election to me because he has money by the boatload and because he will do anything somebody tells him to do. Right. Basically because we have video of him saying Trump's not fit to be president. That was before the election. He was actually John Kasich mm-hmm. supporter. Yeah. Not saying John Kasich was <laughs> competent to be president, but compared to the orange guy, he was infinitely better. Yeah, I know. We we get caught up in a in a whole like I, I can't believe I live in a world where everybody's like, Oh, George W. Bush wasn't that bad of a president. I'm well, like, Are you out of your mind? He, he looks good now. <laughs> I'm like, George W. He Bush looks, is a war criminal. <laughs> but he looks good compared to the yeah. orange monster. Yeah, you are right. That's it's always it's all relative. Everything's yes. relative. Nixon's even looking good. So Mike Turner, who is is well is this his tenth run or eleventh? This will be his eleventh term. I love these the closest reports. he's ever ever been challenged. He's he won by fourteen points over Teresa Gasper four years ago. I've known Teresa for twenty twenty five years, and fourteen points is the best. And the the general refrain is don't run in a gerrymandered district. Well, we've had basically ten people who didn't know how to run a campaign or do a campaign. Now I'll admit, if I had been doing this the way I should have been doing it, I would have gotten into it a year ago instead of in basically in February. Because I looked at the two people who had pulled petitions. One was a total unknown and unreachable. And the other was a young man named Baxter Stapleton, who I'd known for 10 years. And Baxter came to talk to me. And I said, give me your stump speech. And he says, I'm going to run as faith, family, and freedom. I said, we have to Mike Turner for that. You know, <laughs> He tried to give a speech, and he didn't say anything. And I'm, I'm like, that's not any good. And I tried to give him some advice. And I also told him to get your signatures, you have to go and take a voter registration list and collect your signatures. And then I hear he's doing it in bars. And mm-hmm. I'm like, he might turn in a petition that's ruled invalid. So I pull a petition. I get my 50 plus my insurance of at least another 15 because 
even with the list, you still will get 20% rejection rates. And yeah, and Montgomery well, people are talking, elections. if you're running in a primary, you need to get a petition of registered voters right. in that area of your party that yeah. say they support and it's, you. and it's 50, yeah. okay? Now, to run for Dayton City Commission, the, the level, which is a part-time job, is 500. And they often DX people for their signatures. So I get my signatures. Then out of nowhere, Jeff Hardenbrook ran 20 years ago against... Well, first he ran for Dayton School Board, and then 20 years ago he ran against Boehner and did nothing. He turned in a petition. Baxter actually came in third behind Hardenbrook and behind me, and the fourth guy was way back in the back. So I became the candidate, and I started working to get money and everything, and I'm not a big politically connected with PACs. Most of my Infrastructure and knowledge is based on me writing a blog, Ezra.com, since 2005, exposing things that people just weren't aware of. I mean, I exposed, for instance, the second pepper spraying of an inmate in restraints by the Montgomery County Sheriff, who is now a state rep and possibly a candidate for Speaker of the House. I exposed a school board member who didn't live in the district who took money from the Azerbaijani laundromat and it was a bizarre story. He definitely committed voter fraud. There's some whole other stories there. I exposed that. I exposed a city commissioner, a county commissioner for her, her aid steering contracts, no bid contracts to her ad agency for her election campaigns for a public health contract, no bid. And it later turns out after I've exposed it and he ha- he's quietly resigns that he was the co-founder of that agency. I mean, it's just no. Like, I've, I've read you. I've read this, a lot of your stuff. stuff. This stuff is. I've been. People read me. They mm-hmm. know me. They know that I stand up to these people. But we have in Montgomery County. We have a deal where if once you're elected as a judge, you're never challenged again. So going to court against these people is almost impossible. They all play cover their ass. It's the friends and family. It's the monarchy of Montgomery County. And I continue to do it. I mean, when I first ran for mayor, I had my windows shot out in my office two nights in a row. I got threatened by a labor leader who told me he was going to kick my ass, mm. told me get out of my car, so I, he kicked my ass. I, I was still in the reserves then, I think, and pretty much thought I was Billy Badass. I started to get out of the car. He slammed the car door on my leg. <laughs> Wouldn't let me get out of the car. <laughs> He's one of the higher-ups in the Montgomery County Democratic Party. Well, still. yeah, and... This is a tale that everybody can tell. But when we talk about everybody's like the city of date. okay? I mean, the current Democratic governor nominee, Nan Whaley, city of Dayton. There was a terrible shooting there a couple of years ago. And people pretty much know, oh, Dayton's it's a city. It's probably going to vote Democratic. Yet they have this Republican for 20 years because of the way they draw date. Now, just as an example, where we are right now, for those of you guys that know Ohio, We're in Butler County, where we are up here. The person who represents this area goes all the way up to Lima, Mm -hmm. which is north of Dayton, and all the way down to the Ohio River. And they did that so they could get Lincoln Heights as a neighborhood, so they could get the African-American community not represented. So you you are in one of these carved-out, unrepresented districts. It used to be way worse. Yeah, yes, yes. It used to extend down to Highland County. I mean, that's why Tony Hall resigned. He knew he couldn't win in the— New district, and so they basically gave it to Turner. That's a moot point. The, but, the reality is, is even today's in the story of the paper, they said he's a moderate Republican. He's far from a moderate Republican. In this situation, I'm going to ask right. you the uncomfortable question here. Go ahead. 
why did the Democratic establishment not try to run a candidate? Or did you beat the Democratic well, establishment? No, the, the Democratic establishment in Montgomery County has never tried to run a candidate against Mike Turner. They basically let people be sacrificial lamb. They have done bent over backwards to keep their patronage jobs, and that's about it. So, for instance, the sheriff is always a Republican. The prosecutor is always a Democrat. Each of those has a whole bunch of jobs. The Democrats are very good at putting the patronage jobs in the hands of people who then become precinct captains, and then they run the party to protect themselves. And even the way that they vote makes sure that you keep your job by voting with, with us. We do it either by raising our hands or standing, and no vote is actually recorded. It's very unprofessional. But they have basically given Turner carte blanche. The only person, the only candidate who had had any kind of real winning record who had a chance at it was Nam Whaley's buddy, the commissioner, Joey D. Williams, who was a bank president, whose wife was a TV news anchor, and he got caught in the culture of corruption because they only arrested the black people mm -hmm. in, in this. And I said that flat out to the attorney, U.S. attorney, Ben Glassman, after he was all proud of his announcement. I asked the first question. I said, so you mean to tell me only black people are uh, responsible for corruption in Dayton? And he looked like I'd shot his puppy. <laughs> the reality is there went their last best chance. They do not develop candidates. They shoehorn in their friends and family. And that's how it's worked for years. And you kiss the ring and you get a nomination. Daryl Fairchild, who is now a city commissioner, was told that he needed to withdraw from his first attempt at city commission and wait because it wasn't his turn. And they gave the seat to Jeff William, Jeff Mims, who's been a long-term Democratic yeah, insider, Harper, yeah. school board, etc. So Daryl pulls out. So then the next time it's time for Daryl to run, they don't back Daryl. No, they back a guy named Chris Shaw, who hasn't done a damn thing, but they can control him. So he runs. So then Daryl has to run again. So Daryl runs the next time, and he's running against Williams and Mims and comes in third. And it turns out that Williams had been a confidential human source for three years for the FBI at that time and was had a private deal with the feds that if he got reelected, he would step down. And the reason I know all this is because one of the other people that was arrested was a good friend of mine, a fellow paratrooper named Brian Higgins, who owned a restaurant, and I was, he was my client. And Brian let me see the discovery, which had three pages of Williams's first interview as a confidential human source. So Williams runs with a deal with FBI. This is election tampering. Mm -hmm. This yep, is the real yep. thing. And then resigns. We have a special election. The party does everything they can to beat Fairchild. They run a guy named Daryl Ward. Daryl versus Daryl. They both happen to be pastors. One's black, one's white. And Daryl ekes out a win over Daryl Ward. And they're, like, shocked. And next thing you know, the next election, because he, he was filling in then the term, next term he runs with Shanice Turner-Sloss, and the party sends out hate mail attacking the both of them, calling them red-baiting and all kinds of other crap. At that point, I'm screaming for Mark Owens, who was the party chair, to resign. We had a little progressive group within the party, and the new guy is the party guy. But Daryl is now in office. Shanice is in office. I worked on both of their campaigns. I did some work I'm very proud of for both of them. If you watch a video for Shanice called The Divide, 
or if you watch for Fairchild, it's Fairchild Doesn't Quit. Really strong commercials done for next to nothing for both of them. I do know how to run a campaign, mm-hmm. but you need money. No, and, and then, that's that's yeah. been the, the key. I'm and the party that, has yeah. offered me zero help. Right, and so and this except for is, Sherrod Brown, Sherrod Brown sent twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, that's but he good. did that to everybody. Yeah, that's good. No, that's yeah. that's Sherrod Brown's got one thing going for him. That's uh, hey, look, twenty eighteen. This is people that right. think Ohio is a big Republican state. More people in Ohio voted for Sherrod Brown in twenty eighteen oh, than yeah. any other candidate. I don't think Ohio is necessarily a red state by mm-hmm. any means. Yes, Trump won. Let me be honest. Hillary was a horrible candidate. Yeah. Okay, yes. and I'm going to say it again. I think people in Ohio are sick of lifetime politicians like Mike Turner, mm-hmm. like Steve Shabbat, like Jim Jordan, who's in a district that he can't lose. And if you watch Tim Ryan run, he sounds like he's a Trumper. I, I might have you back just to talk that stuff. But I wanted people to, to get a chance to get involved with your campaign. But something else I want to tell people is... You know, when I talk to you and people may say, oh, outsider, everybody talks about the outsiders. Well, the fact is, especially with the Democratic Party, I'm from St. Louis originally, and Lacey Clay and Lacey Clay Jr. were the congressmen from St. Louis forever. And then formerly homeless single mother named Cori Bush right. after Ferguson said enough, had no support from the party, was told you can't win. She beat 50 years, I think, the Clay oh, yeah. family had that seat. Beat him and is one of the most outspoken, powerful Congress people right now. Casio cortez I mean, she... When she won the primary, people were in shock. Yes. So you're part of a trend. That's what I'm trying to tell people. Well, this is... I, I honestly believe that that is possible. And I think that the Supreme Court, which Trump ruined and the Republicans ruined, I think they did... Democrats a huge favor, and I believe strongly that there will be a whole bunch of very pissed off women showing up to vote (laughs) and voting straight D. And if that happens, it doesn't matter who the party supported. It's not a reference on the party. It's a reference on having a constitutional right taken away. Not a constitutional right, but basically a a right that's been there for 50 years. No, absolutely. I, I what, didn't want to sound like no. I know what you're I saying. I didn't understand, but um, it, it's pretty close. To, it was pretty close to it. I wanted to say too about that is the day we're recording this, or early voting has started. Oh yeah, voter registration just ended in Ohio on Tuesday. I know in Kansas is the only state so far to vote whether or not to make abortion illegal, and it overwhelmingly went down. And people in my business, we look at the numbers and we found out that the weeks leading up to the voter registration deadline saw the largest surge of under 30 first time voter registrations. And they were almost all exclusively women. Yep. I looked at the numbers here in Ohio and I'm going to tell you guys, yeah, it's we actually have surpassed that. So you're right. I think there is. And Mike Turner has an A rating from the Susan B. Anthony. So you, you know, you check, anti-abortion. You people. check all the boxes, and I for the Democratic Party, you're pro-choice. You you believe in all of these oh, core absolutely. tenets, and it it's not that I think it's a Republican or Democratic issue. It's the right way to look at it. It's, I just think the parties have gotten way too comfortable in this country mm-hmm. and i think primaries are the biggest disaster because with such low turnout in the primaries you get the extremists picking the wrong people I honestly believe the only hope for this country is to move to ranked choice voting and to move to it faster sooner and better but along with that you need what is called a voter information system this is something i wanted to present at a 
TEDx a long time ago, and they won't let me on the stage there either because, God forbid, I say anything that might <laughs> make me look good. I think the model that OkCupid uses for their dating site, it's copied by the site Stan I Stand With, mm -hmm. which is a political site where you can find out, you take some test questions and you say, this is important, this is not important, and they match you up to your candidate, the candidates tell you who you're going to win, but they only do it on the presidential scale. Yeah. I think we need that universally at every level where the candidates have to answer. Forget the going out and getting signatures part. They actually have to answer enough questions and get some signatures or do something in their community that people would know them. You know, you have to have some sort of track record. But then you answer enough questions and the voters can answer the same questions and they rate them how important they are and they get a rating. They see a match percentage. And so then once elected... Because we would have an open source system that actually tracks all the votes you take where they're evaluated based on categories that would fill in with those questions and we check you against your questions if you voted that way. But it would all come together and tell people if they're getting what they actually voted for. Now, in something we haven't talked about is I have a nonprofit called the Modern Policy Institute, modernpolicy.org. The goals are building these open source tools. And I also have a nonprofit called ReconstructingDayton.org, which is to push forward. It's a 501c4, which was to push forward ranked choice voting, Unigov, you know, as a test bed, as a 501c4 to put money into trying to build some of these systems. Because we've seen some of these small communities in Montgomery County where when they go broke, they stop paying for their license for their tax collection software. And guess what? All their data goes away. Or... They put so much money into a courts management system, and then the price goes up. Or why, and this is my big question, is why do we have six municipal courts in Montgomery County when Franklin has one? Why does Franklin have night court? We have daytime courts. Why do we have so much overhead involved in running courts when, in fact, it makes it hard to do background searches? It makes it hard for people to navigate. It makes it harder on the lawyers. It's just embarrassing. And a lot of it actually hides things. So there are things I want to do, but these are not real popular. So one of the first things, I, I'm, besides reinstating Roe, <laughs> I believe we have a voter registration system, which seems to be very important to Republicans. You know, they're very, very up on this. Why don't we have a donor registration system? Can you answer me that? No, it's funny you say that because this goes back to my work as a lobbyist. When I was in Wisconsin, reference earlier, they had, in order to be, this is back in 2005, in order to be a lobbyist, it cost roughly about $1,000 every session, so every two years, whereas in Ohio, it cost, I think, $35. But the biggest thing is, is as a lobbyist, I had to track if there was a bill that I was working on. There was a, a system that I had to go to, and I had to say, I'm looking at this bill. I support it. I do not support it. And I had to list all of the money that is going towards that thing. I mean, Wisconsin's widely known as having one of the best, like, open government systems there is. They also, could, they also have statewide yeah. legal system. Right. And if, system. Yes. And if you wanted to look up any of that stuff, you'd just go to the mm -hmm. Wisconsin Ethics site and see it. Whereas Ohio, we have Gonwar, which... Trust me, I love Gonwer. I respect the hell out of the people there. But it costs like $3,000 a year 
to access Gonwar. So I don't even know what Gonwar is. Yeah, okay. exactly. But that's where you would go find these deep legislative things. We have point is we have the tools to do all that stuff. It should be easy. This is something else. As part of what I do for a living, I work with a lot of open source projects, and mm-hmm. I try to advocate my clients do that. What people don't understand is the VA was one of the pioneers in electronic medical records. And they built a system that went live pretty much in 98, 99. It's a huge system. It's the largest healthcare system in the country. And that medical record system, even though it's got a horrible interface and it's running on dilapidated software and stuff that's long since been deprecated, it works. What did the Trump administration do? You're telling me that government-funded healthcare has actually had successes? I, I, I get government-funded health care, and I, I wouldn't go anywhere else. I had civilian health care, and trust me, the VA does a ton better. Yeah, That's hard for people to believe, especially because the Dayton VA had a bad reputation yeah. at one time. It no longer deserves it. I just had surgery on my shoulder four months ago, had it by a top doc. They billed 105000 The VA paid 5500 Jeez. Yeah. I mean, the government can do this. Yeah. But anyways, but... Yeah. Under the Trump administration, they decided that the VA needed to buy an EM, an electronic medical record system, EMR, from a private vendor. And it was a huge contract going out to bid. And they wanted to get one that was also used by the military. And they picked the one that I think the Army had used. So the Army, which is the biggest service, their medical records would transfer directly into this. But they'd have to move all the VA things into there. And it's $5 billion or more or whatever. And they are not the leaders in the field. It's going to be a proprietary system. It's, we're not going to own it. We're going to rent it. That is the kind of bullshit that's been going on in government for a long time because it's who gets paid by the lobbyists. It's not about no, the, the, no. doing the right thing because the VA is all about open source, and they would love to improve their systems, but it requires, just like the IRS systems, a major update. So... How are people, how can they get involved with your campaign? How can they donate? How can they do all that? I mean, obviously, you can go to, you can go to Act Blue, mm-hmm. but they charge like 4.5%. Yes, they do. So you can go to electasrati.com forward slash donate, and you can go through a more convoluted open source solution because it, it takes two pages to check out and do everything. And along with that, you can get, when, if you donate there any amount, you get entered into a drawing for a signed Shepherd Ferry print. Oh, I, Shepard gave me about 20 prints to give away. So I am looking forward to giving them away. I need more for, donors. For the, for the younger people, he did the Obama hope. He uh, did hope and change, but yeah. he also, he also is famous long before yes, that yeah. for Obey and, uh, yeah. Andre the Giant no, has a right. posse. But Shepard is somebody in my field who I've gotten to know, although I've never met personally. The few times we've tried to meet hasn't worked out. But he's, he's a supporter. So we've got those. Then we have some of my designer T-shirts because, remember, I own an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got one that is the shape of the state of Ohio made up of guns with silver metallic ink. And then over it in red, it says it has a red bar and white text saying, do something, which was the call after the shooting in the Oregon district, mm-hmm. which, by the way, happened less than a half a mile from my house. My window was open. I heard it. I knew what was happening. And I was like, oh, shit. Anyway, so there's the Do Something t-shirt. There's also one that says Elections, Not Auctions, which is gray and white. But the best one is the black shirt with just the white print. It says Defund Politicians, Elections, Not Auctions. Mm -hmm. 
and that should be very popular. And with a $100 donation, you'll get one sent to you for free, or you can pay $35 and not help me out as much, and we will send you <laughs> one as well. Look, you've said it. I'm going to say it again. People need to understand that it's, a, it's an unfortunate, it's a terrible thing, it's something we need to get rid of, but money is the lifeblood of politics. And, and frankly, I mean, I want to be a Bernie I want to raise money from as many people in small chunks. I don't want the $1,000 donors or the $2,900 donors. But right now, I'll tell you truthfully, if two $2,900 donations came in right now, I'd have some really cool signs printed and distributed pronto ASAP. I'm working. I just put together a spot that I showed you yesterday that incorporates me along with some of the state rep candidates getting the message out and it's going to be a great spot but we can't launch it until the website companies it yeah. goes comes out but i need money to print the signs i've got the frames somebody's getting their iced coffee Go ahead. if a couple large donations came in right now it would be a huge help and something else i've done which is new and i don't think anybody else has done every day at four i do a live stream on youtube and Facebook, and you can ask questions. So if you go to tinyurl.com forward slash Ezrati Live, because the URL for YouTube is really long, you can see me live at four. You can ask questions. We do a single topic each day. We talk for anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes. Sometimes I have guests. I've had a woman on who lost her husband to Alzheimer's, and we talked about deaths with dignity. I've had other candidates come on, and it's a way to get the word out. And I plan on doing it once I get into Congress I, every day. What I did, why I did it, what's coming up, what do you think? I want to stay in touch with my community. No, and that's important. And then, obviously, I said money's the lifeblood, but the most important part is voting. The election right. is November 8th. Right. It's so I have, I have the same app that AOC used. It's hmm. called Reach.Vote. And if you live in the area you and you download it and you log in, it will match your contact list with their voter registration. And then you can go and register your, get your friends involved and get them, make sure they go to vote and help me gain those expensive emails and phone numbers that are crucial lifeblood of get out the yeah. vote efforts. Yeah. And then what we said earlier too, you're in Ohio. Early voting is going on right now. Yep. So you have three counties. I have all of Montgomery County, which mm -hmm. is where Dayton is the county seat is the center of it. I have Greene County, which is just to our east, which includes Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then they took us, they got rid of the part of Fayette County, which was really part of Columbus, and gave me up to Springfield. But they really did that because there's another Air Force Base in that segment up towards Springfield, and they wanted to make sure Mike had that yeah. because he's all about the base. <laughs> yeah, that's what I read. But, okay, David, thank you so much. Thank good, you, Ryan. Good luck uh, with it. And like I said, we'll get this out. Guys, you have to go to elect Ersati. Ersati. Ersati, sorry. I'll <laughs> say that again. You have to go to electersrati.com. Give those donations in. It's so vitally important. So. It is. It really is. All right. Well, I am sitting here now really hungry, so let's get something to eat. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Well, folks, there you have it. Something else I didn't mention at the beginning and didn't really say much during the podcast about, but these races are winnable. They are very winnable. We don't know what's going to happen in the election. And I know the Fox News of the world and the right wing want to just keep hammering this this red wave thing. 
But we're seeing first-time voter registration spiking, going really high. And Ohio is one of these states. And the political science scientist in me says, these are a lot of women who are coming out to vote because I think the right wing has gone too far. So these are winnable races. David can win this race, but again, he needs his help. So go out there. With all that being said, we thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. I sure hope you're registered to vote. If you got time, go register. Get out there. Vote. It's needed. We cannot continue along this path of, of discord and all of that. So go vote. We'll talk to you next time. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.